0: You're listening to Art & Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited that you're here because we have a great conversation in store. And I know I say that every time there's a conversation in store, but I really enjoyed today's and I just feel like it really fits with like the brand, the vibe of the show, which is all about transparency and honesty and the realities of being an artist. Um, So I'm going to get to that in a second and I'll introduce our guest. But before we get into all the good stuff, I wanted to just talk a little bit about what I've been working on and what the first half of my year has looked like, because I haven't really given a personal update in a while. And there's some themes I've been thinking about that might apply to you. Then I have a couple quick announcements and then we will absolutely get into today's show. So, for those of you who follow me, you might already know I have not made a ton of new work this year so far. I, in the fall, went down a little sculpture detour and that made me really excited to stop doing sculpture and get back into painting. But then, when the beginning of the year rolled around, I realized I had a lot of questions that needed to be answered before I invested the time in making new work. I definitely had some ideas, but I had a lot of questions about what kind of media I wanted to continue in. I've worked in mixed media for quite a while. And with that, I've done a lot of acrylic, airbrushing, oil paint, some craft-based materials like vinyl and glitter. And that's all been great. But I started to wonder, was that the best way for me to? portray what I wanted to say this time around. And so I kind of just let myself do a lot of experiments and studies. I did one piece only in oil, which was a really good practice for me because I learned a lot more about working in oil and I gained even more appreciation for why I do use mixed media, airbrush, etc. And in this period of experimentation, I started to get that feeling like oh, this is taking so long. I'm not going to have anything to post on Instagram. I'm not going to have new work that's going to come out. Like people are going to get disengaged. All of those things that come up when we are an artist who uses social media and who also sells our work. So we rely on having new work to sell and also the engagement that makes sure people know when we have work to sell, right? You're familiar with this. And so it was really a practice for me of choosing what I needed to do in the studio over those worries. Now, that's a very privileged choice to be able to make. And this is a lot of this is stuff that actually kind of comes up in different ways in my conversation with Andrea today. So I feel like it's all relevant. But anyway, that was a privileged choice to be able to make. And even with my ability to be able to make that choice, I really had to choose to let go of those worries about becoming irrelevant, about not having new work, all of the things. Turns out that was a really good practice for me because now I have started a small series of new work that's going to be in a group show in the summer. And I'm so excited about these paintings. I I'm venturing into a lot of new territory, but not in the way I thought I would. I've been making a lot of my own models and like buying vintage candy and marshmallows and all of these things that so that I can arrange them in a way that fits the the scene that I'm trying to depict. And I'm also learning my way around a lot more representation. You know, for the longest time, my work was very abstract, and my strength is really in color and composition, um, and in materials, I would say. But working representationally is something I've done here and there, but is definitely not something that comes natural, nor is it a strength of mine. So I'm also really learning my way around that and how much representation I want to bring into my work and how realistic or not realistic do I want to make it. And so all of these things that I'm really excited about, not surprisingly, take a lot of time. I am working the slowest that I've ever worked. These paintings are taking me the longest that any painting has ever taken me. And I'm just realizing that this is going to be a theme for me for a minute. And with that, I'm trying not to be too hard on myself. I'm trying not to compare myself to the other painters or to the speed that I think I should be going. I'm trying to not let the voice of capitalism and the external demand to produce get me down. But I'm also asking myself new questions. Like, what does it mean for the work if it took a lot of time, time being one of our most precious resources, if not the most precious, to make it? Like, what does that say about these rooms? Is that relevant? Because it turns out I kind of think it is. And what does it mean for my business and how I sell my work and how I price my work and how... I can afford to pay myself a living wage, which is the ultimate theme of this episode. Um, We talk about so many things, which I'm gonna talk about in a second, but I felt like that summed it up really nicely. And also, how can I be creative with my prints and the other things that I offer in order to support work that takes a long time? That, you know, it's really important for me to not have to rush. Um, It's really important for me to be able to do it right and uh, spend time with it in this way. So I'm just sharing all of that in case that's relatable at all. In case you are venturing down new media or new way of working or you're experimenting a lot and maybe you're feeling overburdened and overwhelmed by how much time you feel like you might be wasting. I guess I want to say it's never wasted time. Um, I'm going through it and I think that there is light at the end of the tunnel where we can get creative with how we create that time for ourselves and also just more than anything not compare ourselves to others and not be hard on ourselves when we're not producing at a rate that we think we should because you know ultimately it's not about that and ultimately we still have to provide for ourselves so it's holding a little bit of both so Just sharing that to share where I'm at, I think it ties in nicely to the context of what Andrea shares, just in terms of um, how she takes care of herself and advocates for herself as a working artist and makes it a point to um, create income streams that meet her needs, to do things that fit with the flow of how she works. All that is very inspiring to hear about, Um, and I think it's important for all of us to figure that out for ourselves, and also take into account how we work. Okay, so that's the end of my spiel slash little update on where I am at the moment. If you would like to keep up with the progress of these paintings, right now it's just one painting. I am sharing little snippets over on my Instagram, which is at WallsArt. Okay, so just a couple announcements. The first one is... I'm going to be doing a spring cleaning flash sale on all of the art and prints on my website. That is going to happen on Friday, the 27th. It'll just be a couple days long. And if you would like early access to that, you can join the Patreon. Uh, They will get access the day before. Also on the Patreon are bonus episodes of this podcast, which you can't get anywhere else. So it's a great way to support me and the show. The link to that is in the show notes. Announcement number two is that I just opened up my longer-term one-on-one mentorship program for artists to the public. Um, I don't really have a lot of opportunities where you can work with me one-on-one. Sometimes at the beginning of the year I'll do a little special where you can book one hour, Um, but for the most part it's only through my small group program or my courses And I've really only worked with artists longer term as they've kind of come in behind the scenes. I haven't really made this program live and and public on my website in a couple years. That being said, it's something I love doing. It's so nice to be able to have 14 weeks to help support you, help you get your business in order, help, um, help you find more direction in your studio practice, help you strengthen your work. As I talk about on the show all the time and pretty much what this whole show is about is the fact that it's kind of a shit show to piece together being an artist, whether that's financially and or in the studio. And a little bit of support can go a long, long way. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you want to get feedback on your work, if you want to figure out what income streams are best suitable for how you work and the kind of work you make, and you want to work on that together over the course of three months, you can check out that program and apply. The link is also in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about this conversation that I have in store for you today. Our special guest is Andrea Gazzetta, and she was so enjoyable to talk to. Like, I cannot say that enough. We cover a whole wide range of things in this conversation, but at its core, I think it's really like a validating pep talk and a true resource for working artists. Andrea is not shy about being honest and sharing the realities and some of the perspectives from art school and the fine art world that don't sit well with her. And she's also not stingy with her secrets. You know, she really lets us in on her income streams, like her secrets to success on Patreon, um, how she keeps collectors engaged and feeling like they know her and like how she's making this whole thing work for her. Aside from all the practical info that she shares, she is so fun to listen to. She's definitely not a stranger to the podcast realm or the public speaking realm. And I think that that really shows. And this conversation for me just flew right by. I felt like I could listen to her forever. So really grateful for her making the time and coming on the show. One little disclaimer and apology in advance that I have is that On this day of our interview, I realized two minutes before that I left my headphones at the studio and therefore I could not use my microphone and had to record on my Mac, just like raw, (laughs) straight from the computer mic. Um, And I didn't want to reschedule on her and I really wanted this interview to come out on time. And so... My audio does not sound so good, but the good news is I do very little talking and the parts that you want to hear are definitely Andrea, so hopefully it doesn't have too much of an impact on your experience of the conversation. But again, I apologize. I will be back next time with my regular microphone (laughs) in the interview. Uh, But again, I don't think it'll make too much of a difference because Andrea sounds great because she has a great microphone for this interview. All of that being said, if you don't already know her, Andrea Gazzetta is a Los Angeles-based artist originally from Wisconsin. She graduated from the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design with a BFA in sculpture. Described as Lisa Frank without her Zanuck, Andrea's distinct style blends the traditional techniques of classical painting with a pastel aesthetic. She uses her bold, cheery palette to explore themes of intimacy, vulnerability, and the hidden magic of small moments. So without further ado, I present to you this conversation with Andrea. Well, to start us off, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your work for people who haven't seen it Um, and maybe a bit about what your work is about?
1: Absolutely. Um, The number one comment I get from people about my work is this is like if Lisa Frank was edgier. It's really just like oh my god pink rainbows cute seals except sometimes there are skulls. So that's really the whole vibe is I am an artist who at my core is interested in love and death and I see those things as interconnected, but then sometimes I also just want to paint cute shit. So I feel like I have almost two separate practices where I have the like, this is adorable. I want to have a good time, sort of like trippy rainbow stuff. And then I also have like, hey, did you ever think about how impermanent our lives are and how it's beautiful that we're even here? So those kind of things themes and concepts are all sort of present in my work but I think especially because of the pandemic I leaned really hard in the 2020 era into just like I'm just gonna make cute shit because this is all I can handle right now and I think that's okay
0: (laughs) yes absolutely so I'm curious do you see when you say you see those as two separate practices are the pieces actually different from each other or are they just two approaches that like we wouldn't be able to tell from looking at them. Because I'm thinking when you say the cute shit, I'm definitely thinking of like the seals and the Pokemon and the bunnies. Um, but are those
1: also sometimes about death? <laughs> um. Yeah, I think they are separate. I have started, so I almost have like two separate styles. I almost have like a more fine art based style that is more photorealistic and also explores different mediums. Like most recently I had a solo show at VAR Gallery. It's called Stratosphere. It was up till June 4th. If you want to check it out online, there'll be links, whatever. But that whole show, I came at it from a fine art approach of just like, I'm interested in the idea of how ephemeral things like clouds and rainbows that we see in the world that we see is like, wow, that's so beautiful. It's so magic that I came about this is or can be a metaphor for our lives and the briefness of our own lives in the world as like, wow, clouds exist and then they break apart and that's beautiful. Like this cloud is beautiful and it's only here for today. And we can look at our own lives in that same way of like, wow, this life that I'm living is beautiful and it's not going to last, but I'm going to enjoy it and enjoy the beauty and appreciate that. That whole thing, I did all these like weird embroidery things. I did photorealistic portraits with resin and dried flowers I did a cloud sculpture that you can stand under that's raining flowers I did this concept of like flower rain a lot that's all in this like fine art realm I'm creating theme whatever but I will also paint Pokemon because they're adorable and I'm okay with that you know what I mean and also like I have done a few pieces that are sort of in that cuter, more illustrative style, but still explore these more serious themes. So I feel like there is like a weird little bastard child. And that is kind of where I'm exploring right now to exist because it's like, I love all that cute stuff, but I also love these themes and how can I marry those ideas more fully?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Um, I can't wait to talk more about your solo show and the prep that went into that, but we'll we'll pin that for just a second. Absolutely. Um, Two questions with all that. One, do you ever feel like when you're letting yourself just indulge in the cute stuff that maybe isn't as um, fine art or whatever, was there there a process where you kind of had to let yourself do that or where you... I don't know, like maybe felt like you had to defend it. Cause I know that you have a fine art background Mm. and I know that a lot of artists really struggle to let themselves do things that like is just cute and like they just like. And so was that a process for you or did that always kind of come naturally?
1: Yeah, it was a struggle. And here's what I'm going to say. When I, so I originally was going to school for architecture. I was like, oh, this is not for me. And I transferred schools to a fine art, just a fine art institution. I went to the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design in my portfolio to get accepted to the school, I included all of my senior thesis work in, I had done AP art or whatever. And so I included all of my AP artwork, a very serious like um, photorealistic portraiture, messing with color, stuff like that. I also included all the anime that I drew because it was good. I thought it was good. And you know what? It was good. But I was heavily discouraged from the admissions counselors that I talked to from including that in my portfolio because they're like, well, you're better than this. You're they literally were like, you're better than this. Don't include that stuff. And so I got the message in art school in the first few years of like, this has to be something, some big idea. This has to always be something deep. Well, this is very surface, blah, blah, blah. And when I was a junior in college, I actually wanted to drop out. I wanted to quit because I was so angry at going to critiques every time with people who are emperor's new closing art, where everyone's like, wow, this is so deep and it's so awesome. And I'm like, they literally put a rock in the gallery. Stop it. Stop doing this. Like. I'm done buying into the bullshit. This isn't real. Like you guys are all getting off on the per, the idea that you belong to a circle of understanding that others don't. And you're getting off on the idea that art is a closed space that only certain people have access to. And I'm done with it. I'm It's stupid. Like I'm an artist when I was like in second grade, I was making seed bead animals and selling them to my classmates so that I could give my parents money so they could go out to dinner. Like I have always been someone who views art as a skill set and a way to create an income for myself as well as a skill that I have. So the idea that we don't talk about money, we don't talk about taxes, we don't talk about how to make a living, you're just in art school and you have to make this serious work. I think that that modus of academia art comes from a place of heavy privilege of people who have wealth or who have access to wealth who do not have to work for a living and who do not need to graduate college and earn an income immediately because there's nowhere to pay the rent. So it's like that, that sort of like wealthy academia mindset is something I really had to rebel against. And it took me a long time to accept that there are certain artistic spaces where I'm not welcome and the kind of artwork I enjoy is not welcome. And instead of, it's kind of like when you figure out like when you wanna be the cool kid and then you figure out the cool kids are kind of just dumb assholes. It's like that where you're just like, oh, I'm done trying to be the cool kid. I'm gonna just do what I like and hang out with people that I like. Like, why do I want to fit in with these people that don't want me here?
0: Such a good answer. <laughs> Such a better answer than like I would have even ever expected. But so much yes to all that. It's so true when I see, um, yeah, people playing in this very conceptual. Um, I like what you said about, you know, you see art as a skill set. And so when I see people operating in a realm where they're very anti that, it is very privileged because it's basically like they're saying, like, well, I don't need to make money off of my art. But then for those of us that do, you're like made to feel bad about the ways that you might commercialize your work or absolutely, yeah, might make it more accessible because you have to do that in order to, I mean, make a living. In order to make a living. But then that's, looked down upon and in some circles then devalues your work and then keeps you maybe farther out from being able to like climb that ladder in certain ways. Not that I would necessarily even want to, but it does kind of work like that. It keeps the circle closed.
1: (laughs) It does. And something that you have to remember if you are going to art school is that your professor doesn't want to be there out of the goodness of their own heart they are there because they do not have a skill set that can earn them an income without propping up the pyramid scheme of art school. So like, maybe they don't really know how to help you earn a living as an artist because they haven't figured it out. So I don't know. I just like, (laughs) not to bash all people who teach art. I think it would be fun. I would love to do it, but you have to remember that people who are entrenched in this world of academia have sort of married themselves to a type of art that is not necessarily going to be commercially successful. And it's okay if that's not for you. I'm not saying that like all academic art is bad. I think there's a lot of really good art that people are coming from a genuine place and they are drawing light to important issues or they are, you know, showing the world a slice of the world that it wouldn't see otherwise. I think that there is a place for academic art, but I think that the idea that that's what all art should be is naive or that that art is somehow better than commercial art. Um when I was in school I was very into comics. Like I've always been into comic books. I think it's awesome. I think there are comic arts that like the um the Batman uh, like graphic novels if you read that that's art okay like argue with me that's art it's beautifully done it's cinematic it's amazing and it gives you something like to say that that's not art is completely bizarre just because it's also commercially successful you know mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I noticed too like a lot of the opportunities that might have more of an academic background like making work that really isn't sellable or preparing for a big show or even doing some residencies that like you have to fund yourself. I'm like, nobody can do that unless you have a big pile of money supporting you. Like, yes, this is all just like accomplishments that are great for your resume and horrible for your bank account.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, that goes into what we're seeing right now is this, this whole, like, Free it. I mean, a, a an artist residency. Most artist residencies are essentially the internship of the art world, where it's like you're gonna come. We'll we'll give you a gallery space, but you have to fly to Hawaii yourself, and play you have to bring your all your play yeah. for your supplies, bring all your art, and it's like okay, you're just making me spend money to apply for a vacation. Yeah. Like at this point. I am I could just book a ticket and do all that myself. Like, if you're not gonna help me make the work, if you're not gonna fund the work, why am I doing this? So many, I think in the art world, I mean, I am on cafe press, okay? I'm, I'm looking at these opportunities, I'm interested, but there are so many opportunities where it is, uh, spend money on an application, spend money to travel here, spend money to hang out at our villa or whatever, we'll give you free space. And yeah, it's like, space. okay. <laughs> that's not your, what you've done is you've created like an Airbnb. Like that's not an artist residency. You're not supporting me in any way that's real. And a lot of these things too, the thing I really get frustrated with in the art world is marketing and art contests disguised as opportunities. I see so many like why don't you create an illustration for our beer can? (laughs) And if you win, we will give you $500. So that's spec, right? You're doing spec work. Instead of hiring an illustrator, which they, a million dollar beer company, could absolutely just find an illustrator who they like their style and pay them a fair wage to create the work, they're like, why don't we get a bunch of amateurs who don't value themselves and don't value their time to create artwork for free that will promote our beer brand? They'll all post it to Instagram, so even the ones that don't win are creating free advertising for our brand. Then we'll choose the ones that we like and give them the opportunity to be on our beer can. What a bizarre and predatory way to look at artists. That is what we're doing and I'm done with it t public stop emailing me i'm done (laughs) if i get one more email i I got emails this morning and last night and they have emailed me in the past and it's like why don't you create a shop with us you will get a dollar for every t-shirt you sell no seize the means of production buy a bunch of shirts wholesale do pre-orders only so that you only make as many as you need to create Make them limited edition, get them screen printed yourself and make $20 a t-shirt. So it's worth your time as an artist to create that product. Stop using TeePublic. It's crap and it looks bad and they're making all the money. You as an artist are not profiting. A society six, all of those things, all of these like print on demand services, drop shipping, make your art accessible. No, make art your revenue. Yeah. That's how I feel about it.
0: Absolutely. And the thing is too, is it's such a sad thing because artists are such an eager, like willing group of people because we want to do what we love so badly. So we're kind of like the perfect group to prey on in that way, which makes it extra sad. Um, so then my question to you, and you kind of just named a couple of things there, is mm-hmm. what opportunities and avenues have felt good to you? Like in light of all this? Um, it sounds like you've done a lot of learning about like I've
1: yeah, this is uh, this this is what they do not teach you in art school and that I desperately wish I had known as a young artist is that just because something is phrased as an opportunity doesn't mean it is. Um, I used to have a, a podcast about cults. Uh, there are many episodes. If you want to go listen to them, it's called Cult Podcast. I'm no longer part of the show, but it's a really great show and I really enjoy it. Um, the reason that so many cults start in Southern California and Hollywood is because a bunch of artists are trying to move here to make their dreams happen. It is easy to prey on people who are trying to make their dreams happen and who feel like they just need a chance. And a lot of art opportunities, quote unquote, are doing exactly that. Good opportunities, I have found that are actually very valuable. For example, um, I applied for a grant and if you apply to something and it's free to apply, that's a great green light. Um, it doesn't mean every good opportunity is going to be free, but if the, if the, if the intro is $20 or less, I say like, this is worth it to me, you know, excuse me. Um, I applied to a grant. There's a, a, Podcast called Order of the Good Death. It's also sort of like an institution, and they are committed to changing the way that we in Western culture talk about death. So they were looking specifically for artists that, um, like are interested in showing that death is just sort of this beautiful and natural part of life. They're also interested in different types of burials and burials that are more natural and don't involve like a bunch of chemicals. Um and so they're very much committed to the concept of dignity within death because they recognize it as a part of life. I think it's a beautiful philosophy. I think it's really cool. It's something a lot of my work is about. I applied for their grant, which was like a $5,000 grant to help fund my solo show. I did not get that opportunity. That was they sent me an email and they're like, "Hey, sorry, we had some really great submissions. You didn't get this opportunity. However," We like your work. We like the things that you made. We would like to, you know, promote it in a different way. So they sent me this email, and the first time I read it, I read it wrong. So they sent me an email. And they're like, we can do a couple things. You know, we can just do like an Instagram post to to promote with some of your work, and they're like, or you know, we can do like a little like mini script, like an interview, and you can make a short video, and we'll show the work, and we'll show you talking about it. And when I read it the first time, I was like, that's like a little more work, so that'll be like a hundred dollars or whatever. I thought when I read it that I had to pay them a hundred dollars and I was like, oh, this feels like a scam. But because I have ADHD, I was like, well, I'm tired. It's nighttime. I'll print it out and I'll look at it again in the morning and, and see how I feel about it. I reread it and it, they meant they would pay me a hundred dollars because it's more work. So that's when you know like an institution is trying to support you. They want to help you. They are making this profitable for you. Anytime um, a gallery is showing and they take less than 50%, I'm more apt to listen. I'm more likely to show with them. I'm more interested. Not that I'm saying that every gallery shouldn't take 50%. I think that there are some galleries who are really doing the work to sell your stuff. But I have found personally that I've shown with galleries and then my personal following, people who know me are the people who wind up Buying that artwork anyway. So I'm like, well, why did I Mm -hmm. pack this all up and ship it to another city, pay for that, just so that I could get $300 less money? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why did I do this if I am still supposed to be responsible for funneling people to my work? If I'm doing all that work in terms of the marketing and the promotion, Why am I doing any of this? Why am I showing in a gallery at all? So I have tried to even out the number of galleries I show in versus selling independently on my own. And I think some galleries do a really good job of promoting the work that they have um, and some not so much. And it takes some time to sort of suss that out and figure out what is really an opportunity and what is really working for you and what isn't. I think as artists, we feel like anytime someone says they like our work, we are indebted to work with them because that's an opportunity, but it isn't always. And it's okay to say no to things and you'll feel a lot better about yourself if you're like, oh, oh yeah, I am glad I said no to something that I didn't really want to do.
0: And it only takes saying yes to a couple of things that really suck your time, energy, and money to learn that lesson.
1: Yeah, it. I and <laughs> something... I mean, I've been doing a lot of work in therapy too. And like, I'm very much was wired as a people pleaser. Um, And through therapy, I think I'm starting to recognize like, when you get that feeling in your stomach, that's like, this feels weird. That's a good signal to maybe say no to something. That's a good signal that you don't actually want to do that. And it sounds like a little bit stressful. And it sounds like it's maybe not a good idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it does become very like, you feel obligated to say yes to things because you're kind of used to living in this world of like, oh, you have to seize every opportunity because you're an artist and they're so rare. And I think you just realize like actually your best opportunity is your own time and energy. Yes. And if you are constantly giving that away, like that is so much better served just selling your work yourself, making your own products, like doing all this, because unless you're a trust fund kid, in which case you're on a totally different trajectory and like more power to you, um, you have to make
1: money. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that there's this idea when young artists especially start off, they don't pay themselves a living wage. Mm -hmm. And that is a surefire way to burn out. You can't, it's not sustainable. If you're if you're doing a sketch that takes you an hour, and you only charge someone five dollars for it, you can do that when you're in high school and you're sitting around in class and you're just making a little extra money. But it's not sustainable when you become an adult. Like you just have to be able to pay yourself a living wage. And I recently uh, transitioned from having a full time job to no longer doing that. And the I did raise my prices a little bit. But I, from the, for the past couple of years, like as I opened my shop, I was like, I'm going to always pay myself a living wage at least Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm just going to be crying and resentful and angry and I won't like doing it anymore. And it's not good for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question around that actually, when you're like, okay, my prices really need to at least pay me a living wage for like the time and materials that it took me to do them. Mm -hmm. Have you gone through periods where like, well, will that mean that I'm going to sell less of them, but do I just need to stick to my guns and like out of principle, pay myself a living wage? Or then have you just been like, okay, I need to supplement in other ways. Like, I'm kind of curious in the realm of what you are doing things yourself, what your best income streams have been and like how you've managed sales and pricing in that way.
1: So something, I'm trying to shift the way that I create work. So right now, my like revenue streams are, I have a Patreon um, where people, there's like a sticker club that works really well. That's really cool. Um, I am have a really good time. I have a solid core group of people and that money every month helps me pay like some of my basic stuff. It doesn't pay like my rent all the way yet, but I'm hoping to get it there. But it is like reliable income that I know I'll have and I know how much work will go into that. So in a way it's kind of like they've blocked out my time. Excuse me. So that is really helpful. The other thing that I have are prints, which my one of my business goals this year is to increase my print sales. So I I don't know if you know this but the state of California has a free program that is grant funded where any small business can contact um, this company. I can look it up, I think it's called the SBCC. Uh, I can give you that information if you want it, but it is basically like, I called them the other day and they're like, great, uh, if you need help figuring out how to collect sales tax and do your taxes, you can talk to this person. If you need help with marketing and SEO, you can talk to this person. Do you wanna help make a business plan? Talk to this person. So there are resources available to help you with those things. I'm going to be talking to some of those people next week. I'm really excited about it. Um but prints make up like a small bit of my revenue. They're helpful. They're more like a residual revenue. And then commissions and original artwork sales, I would say are my biggest revenue right now, and that is mostly commissions, which is mostly pet portraits. And I started doing pet portraits. I would do them every year just around the holidays as like I had my full-time job, but it would be great to have extra money so I could like travel and see my family and buy people Christmas presents. So I would do it as a way to sort of earn extra income around that time. And I found that, first of all, everyone waits till the last minute to order a Christmas present that is oil paint and will take at least a month to dry. So you guys need to get on it, do it faster. Um, But the other thing that happened is I would have to start saying no to people. So people would say, I'd get 20 requests and I'd be like, hey, I'm full. I can only make this many a week. That's my limit. And I started learning that the more you say no to people, the more they feel like they they have to get in while they can. And so I started raising my prices because... I, fiz- I was like, oh my God, I'm only charging $150 for this, but it's taking me eight hours. That's crazy. I can't charge that low. So I increased my prices and this thing happened where people still, because I only have so many spots, people are still like, well, I really want it. And this is a luxury item and I'm, you know, it's worth making that investment. But I think people also value. A response I started getting was, I don't have that right now, but I'm going to save up. And that is such a respectful and kind way to come at an artist. Like, if you can't afford something, that's okay. We're not going to get mad at you. (laughs) Like, no one's ever mad that you don't have $400 lying around. I don't either. It's okay. But, like, the idea that people were like, I value what you do and I really want this thing and, like, I'll save up for it is what has happened so far So I've actually been pretty surprised because I did have to raise my prices after I lost my job. And also, like, because of all the inflation and the difficulty getting materials, I was like, sorry, guys, like, it's just gas is more expensive and I have to drive across town to get panels and, you know, all this stuff. So. Yeah, I was surprised that I talked so much. I'm so sorry. Uh, I was surprised that
0: that's your job on a podcast interview it's to talk a lot. Yeah, how dare <laughs> I? Uh,
1: Yeah, I, I I guess I was surprised that people's response, but also like very pleasantly surprised. I would say so. I would say like yeah, you're worth it, and just kind of stick to your pricing. I think if you are working a day job and doing this on the side, you have more flexibility. And something I would do when I was in that. Um, area is I would be a lot more selective about the projects I said yes to because I have friends who like for example one of my friends recorded a a stand-up comedy album and I love him and I know he's poor so I just did his album cover for free because I offered I was like if you let me do whatever I want because this is going to be fun for me and I love you and I'm a fan of you Uh, his name is Tom Goss by the way it's called Tom Goss in Chicago I think (laughs) he's really funny um, but I was like, I just want to do this for you. Cause you're my friend and I love you. And I, I want, this is fun for me and he couldn't pay me. And I was like, yeah, don't pay me. It's fine. And then when I lost my job, he was doing a lot better and he actually like sent me money as like, Hey, thanks for doing my album cover forever ago. Um, but I found that like when I did have a, my own source of income and I was doing work, what I would do instead is I would, if I didn't really want to do something, I would just charge a client an outrageous price just so they would leave me alone. And then sometimes they would say yes. And then you would just do it for an outrageous price. And if I really did want to do something, I might charge a client a lower price because I was genuinely excited about the project. And I knew that there are other things coming from that, or I'm going to get joy out of it, or maybe I can make prints of it later. But I'm also trying to work with a client in their price point. That has also happened. Um, so I feel like there, are, there is wiggle room in that of like charging yourself that price. Um, I think if you are trying to like change what you do, if you're like, well, this aligns with what I'd like to be doing more. So I might to get into that and to show that in my portfolio, charge a little less. But you have to like balance all of that and create something that is sustainable for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like balancing the value for you. Um, yes,
1: absolutely. I, I get
0: that a hundred percent. So one thing I did want to ask about, because um, you brought up the Patreon, and just in general, I think it it probably <laughs> kind of applies to all of your your sales and collectors and stuff. For is sure. Is how you've gone about cultivating such an in- invested collector base. Like, because I went on your Patreon, and I was like, damn, she's killing it on Patreon. Look at all <laughs> these people like on here supporting her. And I think I, I get a lot of questions from artists about Patreon because I've really noticed for some people, it works really well. Then for others, they feel like it's really slow to get it going and hard to get people to stay on there. So I'm like, what are your Mm. your secrets?
1: (laughs) Um, so, uh, I think that part of the secret to that success also, uh, something about my Patreon, I think I'm up to like $900 a month. Um, I think, I have 85 patrons all of that is visible because again I personally as an artist believe that transparency is really important um I want everyone to know what is going on with me and how I make my money because I want you to understand yes it's a little bit expensive but also like this is how it's coming together baby (laughs) um but for for me specifically something that um another He's a comedian. His name is Dan Lamort. He said something to my ex boyfriend in passing at a comedy show. He said, You know, people want to spend money buying things from their friends or people like they feel like they know or they feel like they like. And when I was doing stand up, I was doing this podcast, cult podcast. And it's a pretty popular podcast, probably more so because my ex-boyfriend, who I did it with for many years, is reaching some uh, notoriety personally. And so people are coming to the show, they're listening to back episodes, and they're like, who's this Andrea girl? She's great. Hope she sticks around. And then I leave. Uh, It's pretty funny but you know no 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 continued beef I love both Armando and Paige who were my old co-hosts it's just like weird to do a podcast with your (laughs) Uh, (laughs) ex-boyfriend but I think that people feel like they know me as a person and then even when I left the show something that started happening is people still want to like know what's going on with me and they want to like see what I'm up to. And then they became fans of my work, but they feel like they know me as a person. And that is also, I guess, my brand quote unquote, it's weird to be a brand and a person at the same time. Um, But my brand, I would say is I try to be someone who is authentic and transparent about my life and the struggles I go through and who I actually am. And The ways that I learn and grow, like I share about struggling with ADHD, I share about um, trying to heal from childhood trauma, Um, I share about my tiny dog and my tiny studio apartment that I live and work in. So I feel like I'm someone who really tries to be authentic with others, and I think that that resonates with the people who follow me. So they feel a little bit more connected, even if I don't have I don't have a hundred thousand followers. Like I'm. There are so many people I know that have like crazy, huge followings. I have like 11,000 followers, but the Patreon thing that I offer, the other side of that too, is I made sure that it was something achievable. Like it's like a simple plan. I think a lot of times when people do Patreon, you do the math and you're like, oh my God, I'm working for Five dollars an hour, because this is so much time, so I tried to create something that was scalable that, like as more people joined, I could offer more rewards. And so I basically just have like a close friend's thing on Instagram where I share like, hey, guys, here's what I'm up to. Um here's some tips and tricks. like I talk about like the mediums I use in painting and why I paint on a pink background usually, and trying different stuff um and then the, my $10 is like a sticker club, basically. And then my $30 is sticker club plus every month you have a chance to, have, to get the original oil painting, the original sketch that I did for, um, for the sticker. So I kind of set it up where, like, you get an original piece of art. That's worth more money. That's a cooler thing. I also will just sometimes send them whatever relig- originals. For for example, everyone in my highest tier this year is getting a, or uh, this month is getting a Lola pin that I did with my friend Colorado Glassworks. So it's like a cool, cute little enamel pin. So it's just like a fun extra. And I'll do that for my highest level patrons. If I like make a cool sketch or something, I'm like, you know, I don't want to like try to sell this in my shop. Like it makes more sense for it to just go to someone who's already supporting me. Um, And I think that's really fun and cool. But I sort of set it up where it's like the more people who join stickers get less expensive, the more you order. So even though you're scaling up in terms of like now it's more time because I have to pack more packages, you're scaling down in your cost because stickers are something like what I also did. um, And my patrons are super cool about this. I originally was mailing rewards every month. Now I mail every other month and combine those two rewards. And that has also brought the cost down to a point where I can send people two stickers for each animal. So they have one and they can share it with a friend. Cause I know some people don't like to stick their stickers Um, or they have like anxiety about wasting the sticker. So it's like, now you get two copies so you can stick one and save one forever like I did as a child, so yeah. Sorry, that's yeah.
0: Don't apologize. I'm so into this. I'm like, yes, I want this practical breakdown. So thank you so much for like just all of your transparency and sharing. I did see the close friends option. I want to get on it because so I was like, I want these close friends stories. I've this and so it really is um, a good strategy. And you actually kind of brought up something that I wanted to ask you about. So you mentioned cult podcast and. Um, you brought up like some friends that are comedians. And one thing I think that is really cool. Um, how would I put this? <laughs> this, is, this sounds weird, but I'm just gonna say it. Is I love that you are such this like multifaceted artist. Like, yes, you're this amazing artist who paints these beautiful paintings. And also you have so many other interests and also you're very entertaining and fun to listen to. And you've done these Aww. other podcasts. Yeah, and I know you have this background <laughs> in comedy. And so I think that that's inspiring to me because I often wonder how artists can weave these like seemingly unrelated aspects of themselves into who they are, into their art, and like show people that who are interested in their art um, in a mm. way that makes sense, you know? Um, we're gonna say go ahead if you're
1: gonna say Oh, that. I you should stop because my head's gonna be so big I won't be able to leave my apartment. Like it'll get stuck in the door. Like you you have to watch out. So I the, That's I appreciate it. Right? <laughs> That's why. You no, know, it's because yeah. my apartment's so small. <laughs> really, <I was> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um,
0: so one thing I, I did kind of want to ask you, and this might be kind of a weird question is do you see the ways in which your background in stand-up comedy has like influenced your work and I guess I want to say your interest in speaking I don't know if that's an interest but you're just you do you are great on your um pod Guard podcast which is amazing I want to oh, you thank you too. yeah and yeah. I love the whole podcasts as well um and so, yeah, like, do you see these aspects of yourself kind of colliding in what you do as an artist or do you keep them kind of separate? I'm just, I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: Um, I have, so uh, the whole reason I started doing standup at all is because I went through a really difficult breakup and I realized I did not have friends. Uh, I just spent all my time alone in my studio Making art for no one and not connecting with other people and not forming meaningful relationships with others, and I recognize like this probably isn't good for me. And I want to try something different. So I love listening to stand-up comedy. I thought it would be fun. Um, I practiced six hours for my first five-minute set because I was so nervous, and I did really well. And I sort of met this whole group of people that believes in something else like stand-up comedy as an art medium is not tied to product so it's like you don't you can go anywhere you travel light you don't need your sketchbook you don't need your paints you are creating art and the art is an experience between you and the audience and I loved how immediate that was I love that you tell a joke and someone laughs if you're painting you paint a painting you spend 40 hours alone in your studio painting that painting You mail that painting to a gallery, you wait three months, and they mail it back, and you don't know if anyone liked it. No one says, hey, I really like that. And before I was on social media, like when I first started off, I wasn't really big on social media. I didn't really understand like how to use it for art. Um, So I had no feedback. I had no idea what was happening. And I realized like I really want relationships. And I was also someone who was very introverted and shy and had a difficult time with my own self-worth and my own self-confidence. And so like I would go to gallery openings and just not talk to anybody. I wouldn't make any friends. I would just be like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be here. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I felt awkward. I didn't know what to do. And so when I started doing stand-up, this thing happened where you'll, you'll be telling a joke and some asshole will interrupt you. And then you talk back to them and then people laugh. And it's amazing. Uh, My favorite is when like dudes will just be like filthy or like try to mess with me. And then you just roast them and it's a really good time. And I was like, Oh, I don't have to be afraid of anyone. Like, I don't have to be afraid of men sexualizing me. I don't have to be afraid of, you know, people judging the way I dress or the way I look or anything else like that, because it's like, Oh fuck you. Like I don't have to agree with you. And it gave me so much confidence and it gave me so much of a skill and an ability to speak about who I am and what I do that I was like, oh, when I talk, people laugh. Maybe I'm worth listening to. And maybe I can walk through the world with that attitude that I'm worth listening to. And so when I came back to art, I think art was always my first love, but I was so sort of like. Demoralized by the way that art institutions specifically received my work and the way that I felt like my work didn't fit anywhere. And with the advent of the internet and being able to use like Instagram and find an audience of people who like art like I like, and also the confidence that I gained from stand up, I was like, oh, now I'm ready to do this artist thing. Like now I feel ready. And I don't think I would be where I am. As an independent artist without the skills that I got through stand up.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, I like what you said about just the art form being um like you don't know, it I don't know if you directly said this, but it's a little bit without pretension because it's not rooted in an end product. Um
1: yeah.
0: and I actually feel that way about dance, which is like a totally different thing that I do. It's seemingly unrelated, but it's just that's awesome expression and like you're just doing it and i imagine stand-up comedy there's like a crossover there you know um and so it's really cool to hear how that has given you confidence in your work
1: i think it's really interesting that you say that dance is not related to the art that you make because when you say you're interested in dance and i look at these giant big spaces full of possibility I see how if you're a dancer and you see a big open room that feels beautiful to you and that's what you paint all the time (laughs) so like that makes so much sense to me actually like when you're like oh I'm a dancer I'm like that makes sense because your spaces look like somewhere you would want to dance.
0: That's so, that's a great reflection. I actually hadn't thought of that, but you're hundred percent right. Actually, my dream growing up was to just like have a big empty room in my house. And I, it's funny how I never made that connection with <laughs> the fact that my art are literal rooms. Uh, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, so I'm curious then two things. Are you still doing stand-up now?
1: Um, I did stand up a couple of weeks ago. I would like to go do open mics, but right now I'm so focused on like the artwork that I'm creating. I feel like I just don't have anything left. And that's kind of why I quit stand up in the first place is I felt like I was married to two husbands kind of. And I was like, oh, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> like, this is not sustainable. I'm not sleeping. Like you can't make art for a solo show and also be out every night doing stand up you have to be able to balance those and so i couldn't i felt like i couldn't stand up as a practice like yoga or you know basketball or whatever else like whatever sport you do it's kind of like a sport you really need to like continue to work it out to get in shape um and when you get out of shape you feel it and so like i'm pretty rusty it would take a lot of like working out for me to get back to the level that i would like to be at Um, So I don't really practice it as much now. I feel like my podcast is like my space to be heard and my space to like goof around and, and talk about stuff. And also just like my Instagram, like on my stories all the time, I'll do jokes, I'll goof around, I'll, you know, do stuff like that. I think something I wish the art world had more of is play and people not taking themselves so seriously. That was something that really bummed me out about art school. I was like, everyone's so serious all the time. Like, I still remember we had to do this project where um, we had to choose an art form that we weren't comfortable with, like an art form that we'd never explored before. And I was like, I'm going to write a rap song.
0: Yes. Oh my God. I love that.
1: And so I did. Um, I was (laughs) DJ glitter pants. I had this like, I had this like outrageous outfit. I had this like crazy dress and like glittery tights and like a sparkly top. And I had giant glasses and it was not good rap, but it was really funny. So all of like everyone in my class, like even people that I was like, I think these people hate me, laughed when I performed, and I was like, oh, this is fun. Like making people laugh is fun, and art can be fun, and I like this. <laughs> so like that was one experience I had in art school that sort of I think makes sense why I went into stand up later. Um, I think that play is an important aspect of art making that people forget about.
0: Hmm. Yeah, which is just so ironic, because I think so many of us got into art making in the first place, because it was fun and therapeutic for us. And then yeah, along the way, when you're like, I'm gonna do it for real. It's like, no, this is serious now. And it must have lots of meaning. And by the way, it's also going to be really hard because society doesn't really care about you. And you're like, well, that's not fun. What happened to all the fun? <laughs> so then you have to kind of remember it.
1: <laughs> I, I am on Reddit, probably too much for my own sanity, because The AITA, the am I the asshole, like section of Reddit is my favorite place to be. I'm like, ooh, these people are crazy. (laughs) But something I see a lot on Reddit in like the artist lounge area is everyone is like, I'm like, I have this art block. I'm stuck. What do you do? I feel like everything I make is crap. Whatever. And it's like, my advice always is go back to the place where it was fun and you'll start liking it again. That is what I do when I get stuck. I'll like, I do, I collage. I have a sketchbook that's full of collages. Will I ever show any of those collages to anyone? No. Was it fun? Yeah. (laughs) Like sometimes you make a collage or you make a dumb drawing or whatever. And sometimes that sparks something else. Or sometimes that is the art. Like I've started things as doodles that I'm like, this is dumb. And I was like, this is hilarious. I'm going to keep going. And then people are like, no, I love that really okay so I think that if you go to a place where it's fun again and stop worrying about what it means or if it's good or whatever there's a place for that there's you can definitely make art for those reasons but it doesn't always have to be that and you're allowed to play it's allowed Mm -hmm. to be fun
0: yeah I'm actually reminded of your embroidery on toilet paper I don't know if those (laughs) were coming from those places but it kind of feels like maybe they were because they're on toilet paper. And those are some of my favorite things. I'm like, these are amazing. I also see that she splurged for the good toilet paper because she must've had to, because I'm sure this is like very challenging.
1: Here's the thing. Hilarious story. One week before the pandemic. So I used to live in this studio apartment that you see before you with a six foot five large man and my tiny dog. We lived in this apartment together during a global pandemic. And I would say a week before the pandemic, we got in a fight because we ran out of toilet paper and he didn't tell me. He didn't tell me. He didn't go to the store and get more. He didn't refill it. So I went to the bathroom. There's no toilet paper in the house at all. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I went to Target and Rage bought a 36 pack of Charmin. Then the pandemic hit no one could find toilet paper we had like a four month supply of toilet paper like to a point where like our friends are like we can't get toilet paper and we would like make a little gift bag of toilet paper and bring it to them um so when i started doing those embroidery pieces someone had posted something on facebook or something like a challenge like oh make a piece of art on a piece of toilet paper or whatever and i was like oh that's funny I'll, t- I'll try that. And so I did, I, the first one I did, I like drew the skull in ink, and then I embroidered a rainbow on the toilet paper, which is really hard to do because toilet oh, paper looks like <laughs> is not fabric and it rips immediately. It took me a couple tries to figure it out. Um, and then I was like, these are funny. Like there's something like Like there's something kind of hopeful about it. Like there's this rainbow, then there's the skull. Like we're all scared of dying. It's scary right now. Like this, I feel, I was like, this just feels like right now, this is how it feels. And I wound up doing 20 of them. And I would like, I like posted them online and I got like weird hate mail from people that are like, you're wasting toilet paper. And I couldn't go to the bathroom and whatever. And I was like, it's 20 squares. That's like one shit you're not, it's fine. Like I didn't even use a whole role. Like you guys need to relax. Um, but I did wind up selling them to people and a lot of people still have theirs. And then I made like a little zine of them and I collaborated with my friend Anja and Um, half the proceeds from the, the thing at the time I was on unemployment. So I was doing very well for myself. I wasn't worried about money. Um, but my friend Anja was out of work and did not have that option. So half the proceeds that we made went to her specifically. She wrote these poems for the zine and they helped sort of like, her buy food during the pandemic. And then the other half went to, um, in Milwaukee, There is a was a mutual aid organization that was committed to helping um, undocumented people buy food who were out of work because of the pandemic again. So my half of the proceeds went to that uh, organization. And so it's something where like stuff like that can just be like fun and then people wind up loving it and you're like, oh this is something actually maybe this is art like I did it because I was like this is how I feel right now and then people really connected with it and it's like if people are connecting with the work you're doing who's to say it's not art
0: Hmm. yeah yeah and it's like I think we need that reminder over and over again it almost feels like a cycle like the making and being like yes I can do anything and the doubting and then you come out and it's this it's this whole dance um, absolutely yeah, I love that story. I I I just saw them on your website. I didn't realize like the timing of the pandemic, but that makes it so much better.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it was very much of the moment and again like as an artist, I make things as long as I want to make them. So I actually had people approach me um cuz after I did the first set of 10, I sold them all like immediately. Like I would post them people were like I want this one. And then the second 10, I took like pre-orders, basically. I was like, I will contact you and order and you will get your choice. I'm going to make 10 more. Um, And then that's it. And I had people after the fact, like, will you make more? Can I have one? Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, no, I'm done. Like I'm out of ideas. That's as many as I felt good about making. And I don't want to play with this idea anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you can just say no. And
0: yeah. It's a great part about working for yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love benefits. That. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I know we're this has gone by so fast. We're gonna have to have you back for a part two <laughs> and probably like parts three and four because I'm like, oh, she's got so much that we gotta get into. But
1: I could talk oh, for I a whole know. day about anything. It's the ADHD baby. I love it. It's-
0: it is the ideal podcast guest <laughs> um but before we go I did want to touch on your solo show because it was so beautiful and is because I think it's still up um and it looked like a massive project um yeah. and so I just wanted to ask like because I think it was your first solo show right
1: yeah it was yeah okay.
0: congratulations um, thank you I love the it flower I love the embroidery pieces. I really want one of the like embroidery cloud, like three-dimensional pieces. Those are so cool. Um, But I was curious, you know, what you learned that you would do differently and then what you felt like really proud of and you felt went really well.
1: Mm. I feel really, really proud of the cloud sculpture I did. Um, It was one of those gambles where I was like, I don't think I can do this, but I literally dreamed of that idea in 2020 and my friend Josh asked me to do the show and I like had wanted to do a solo show for a long time, but at the time I still had my full-time job and I was like, I don't think I can make enough art to fill this gallery space and also work my job. Like I didn't think I could do it, but I kind of said yes anyway and then I got fired like a week later. So it worked out really well. I basically got fired and I was like, well, now I'm gonna have a lot of time to make art for this show. (laughs) Uh, So that was pretty cool. Um, But I would say for the show, I tried to approach it. My central concept and theme just came from this idea of like a cloud raining flowers. It was like this image I was obsessed with and I just wanted to make all the stuff around it and explore what it was about and what it meant. And I think what it means to me is very much sort of about like rain creates flowers, the flowers grow, they die. Like it's about these sort of like the ways that we're present in the cycle of the earth and of the world. Um, But I kind of just dedicated four months to just making art, which financially is a huge risk. It's very scary. To just say like, and luckily I had like a savings account and I have my Patreon and I had some other things like a few like commissions and stuff. Um, but it is a very scary thing to approach. Um, and it is a very privileged thing to be able to do. I think it would be dishonest for me to say that like being able to take four months to spend money and make no money is not a privilege. Um, it absolutely is. Um, the way I tried to approach it is sort of like making the work itself is in series. So I knew like I had this whole room to fill. Um, I knew I wanted to do this giant cloud thing. Uh, the gallery actually paid for, I would say a quarter of the cloud. It cost me about $4,000 to create. Um, and they paid for a thousand dollars of that. And, um, I tried to set things up where Yes, I'm, I have this vision, yes, I have this thing, but I did also try to be economic about it and create works that were small enough and accessible enough that some people could purchase them. And then also create works that were just like big and fun for me. So the sculpture is a, an example of like a big piece. I also did like a big self-portrait and I did this. My favorite piece is um, there's a nude woman standing below a cloud and the cloud is raining flowers and she's in the middle of a desert. And so, like, that's my favorite piece, probably. And, you know, it's expensive. People probably aren't going to be able to afford that. So I did make sure that I had things at a lower price point so people could afford them while also allowing myself to have the fun and the freedom to really play. So all of those little, like, embroidery rainbow pieces I made first, and that was, like, the fun things. And then I just really tried to have fun with every aspect and also imagine how all the things relate to each other, I guess, Mm -hmm. was my approach. Yeah,
0: you did a really good job of that. Okay, so I'm curious, I, probably because I've never done something even remotely close to this club, club sculpture, I did not realize it was that expensive to make. Is that a piece that somebody could potentially buy?
1: Yeah, if you okay. wanted to, you can absolutely buy it. Um, you could get reimbursed for that
0: cost.
1: That's the goal. Uh, yeah. Actually, I the gallery owner did tell me that some people have inquired about it. I haven't heard that it's sold yet. Um, so I'm not sure what the status is, but I haven't seen like a sold sticker. Um, I kind of knew that it was going to be a risk. Um, and I knew that it was kind of insane. Um, but I really felt like I just had to do it. And I feel like doing it paid off in a different way because when people go to the show, they take a photo with it. Cause you can stand under the cloud. It's like, so the cloud is raining these wooden flowers. There's sort of like a, an area in the middle that doesn't have anything. And then there's footprints so you can stand there and then there's like a rainbow. So it ties back to the rainbow. And Portal embroidery pieces that I did. So it's like you're inside one of the pieces I created. Um, and I felt like allowing people to be a part of the experience would give them an emotional reaction to the show. So even if I didn't sell that piece, it would help people connect with my work in the way that I want them to fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in that way, it was a success. And um, yeah, again, huge gamble, but like, I think worth it. Cause people are, you know, people are like taking photos with it. They're sharing that they're sharing information about the show because they're having this emotional experience as a part of it. And also I really just wanted to make it for myself. Cause I thought it would be cool.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then that leads me to, well, actually, so you're saying that took you four months to do. To me, that feels so short for the amount of work that you did. So I'm
1: the whole show, the whole show, yeah, four months because I did the whole show in four months. Yeah, I did the embroidery pieces in January, and then February was the burial portraits, and then March was the um, like the self portrait, the big baptism piece, and then the moth with the. With the flowers and then the the sky pieces. Mm-hmm. And then I painted all the flowers. I actually know, because I started in like mid-December. And then I had to be done the last, the second to last week in March. And then I drove there and installed. So I guess the installation is another week. So yeah, I actually almost. I get three and a half to four is about the months.
0: That's crazy. You must be really a prolific painter because to me, I'm such a slow painter. So that blows my mind. I'm like, wow, I can't even imagine doing that. That's amazing.
1: I am. I will say I'm a pretty fast painter. I worked at, so um, my background, I worked at a stained glass studio as a glass artist, a glass painter specifically. When I say I'm a glass artist, people think that I make marijuana pipes. That is not what I did. I painted Jesus in stained glass windows. Is basically what I did. There are examples on my Instagram if you want to see it, or you can message me. Um, But it is a when you work for someone else and every day you're painting, you just have to be fast at it because that's how you make a living. And a lot of times they tell you there are X amount of hours in the job, so they'll be like, "There's 20 hours in this job," and you're like, "I need 40," and they're like, "You have 20." So you learn to speed up your process. And also, I do think that I just kind of have my system down now, like I kind of know how to approach things. And because I don't have my day job anymore, and I'm only painting, oil painting all day, pretty much every day, I have gotten a lot faster. So Mm -hmm. yeah, when you do it every day, it's a lot easier. You know, you're already warmed up. You're like, I just did this yesterday. We're just doing Mm -hmm. it again.
0: That's actually really inspiring to me because that's something I'm kind of grappling with right now is just like the amount of time that my work takes me. But I think it's inspiring to hear that like you can just get faster over time. Like it will absolutely still in practice. And yeah, it's not like you're deemed to be a slow painter.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I something that I use as part of my process when I'm doing my more photorealistic works, I create Photoshop collages and I work from those instead of just drawing straight, which Mm -hmm. is a lazy way, probably. I really admire artists who draw everything. I think it looks really cool. I really like it. That's not how I work because I am, I'm, I'm also an impatient person by my nature. Um, so I think that's part of it too, is I like the immediacy. Like, that's part of why I like a la prima painting because I like, I just want to do it all right now. Like, yeah, I have a hard time. I will work with underpaintings, but I started using a lot of liquid and stuff so that I can like speed up the process because I just hate waiting. <laughs>
0: Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I need to get on that. Um, I do a lot of like digital stuff too. And I think that helps, but do you work in acrylic? I do. I think part of it is the mixed media. So I do acrylic, I do oil, I airbrush. I, Oh,
1: that's fun
0: yeah, it's, it's fun, but it's just like, everything is such a step, you know? And then I do like the whole digital process before, um, I just started practicing, like doing full oil paintings and that's totally new to me. And so I think I'm just like learning my way around, around the media and with that, but I think anytime you're learning something, there's so much extra time baked in because you're not just doing it start to finish. You're also figuring it out.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Every time you, what is, what always makes me laugh is As an artist, I know to just pay other artists who are good at their art. Like I would never try to throw a pot. Like the hours, I think my ex actually, I had a funny conversation with him because he was like, well, I really liked these mugs and they sold out. So I thought I would make my own. So I took a pottery class and I just laughed at him. I was like, bro, you've made stuff before. Like, you know, you can't just pick this up and be good at it right away. Like, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. He's like, yeah, it was a pretty much a disaster. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to be bad at it the first time, but if that's what you want to do and you love doing it, you're going to get so much better at it every time. So like, yeah, that's super awesome.
0: Yeah. You really just have to put in the hours for sure. Um, well, I don't want to like take up your entire day because I absolutely could. Um, so before we log off, I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Um, I really couldn't have asked for a better conversation and I'm just like so stoked to have you on and get to talk to you. Um, where would you like people to go? What do you have coming up? I know you like just finished this huge show. Um, so maybe you're on like mini, mini respite, but yeah, where can people find more of you? Is there anything coming up that you want to share about?
1: Oh, there's no rest for the wicked. There's all <laughs> <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, The best way to hear about it, if you want, is uh, my website, andreagazetta.com. If you go to the shop, there's going to be like a pop-up and it's like, do you want to subscribe to my newsletter? If you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get all the info, of what I'm up to, when sales are, whatever else. Um, I'm on Instagram at andreagazetta and I'm obviously on Patreon, patreon.com slash andreagazetta. Um, If you want to hear my voice more, you can check out my podcast, Podmont Guard. It's an art history podcast. And I would say we are an anti-colonial, anti-white dudes are the best podcast because I'm really interested in reframing art history through a modern day lens that is honest about racism and misogyny uh so we really talk shit about famous dudes and then try to talk about how cool lady artists are is what a lot of it is but uh yeah that's a good time what else do i do uh i think that's everything yeah (laughs)
0: amazing yeah i i second the podcast i love the podcast oh go ahead
1: oh i was gonna say uh my show at var gallery if you go to vargallery.com, you can check that show out you can also just check the link in my bio um on instagram and it has all that information so
0: amazing yeah we'll also link everything in the show notes so that people find their way thank you so much again this has been such a good time i i'm so serious about having you back
1: i had a great time yeah let's come back and next time i'll talk about the art i make more and the money (laughs) i make less
0: (laughs) we'll be here for it
1: Okay, how
0: fun is Andrea to listen to? Didn't I tell you that before the conversation? I just had so much fun having her on. Uh, Big thanks to her again for coming on and sharing all of the stories and all of the things. Uh, You can check out her solo show, her Patreon, her Instagram, her website, all the things she mentioned in the show notes, and definitely be sure to do that. Her work is amazing. I love it so much. Um... And that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for being here. As always, if you would like to support us, you can leave us a rating and a review on wherever you're listening to, but definitely Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down, hit the five stars and let us know what you are liking about the show. You can also keep up with all of the happenings at Art and Magic Podcast on Instagram. And as I mentioned in the intro, if you want to get some bonus episodes, you can head over to our Patreon, which is also in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy creating.